Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are you ready to rumble today, Matt? 1001. How's the energy? How's the energy? How's the energy? Energy feeling good? Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking bursting at the seams. There we go, yeah, man. Yeah, That's yeah. what we want to feel. Yeah. Okay. You want we, some? Yeah. You want some of it? Yeah, because we got- Come a, get it. We got a big, big energy coming into the podcast today. Big old ball of energy. Big old boy. Yeah. yeah. James Smith, PT, personal trainer. PT the outspoken, extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. The outspoken individual that you may have seen on Instagram or TikTok, where he calls out the BS on individuals. He goes in. Goes mm. in, he, he takes down people that are chatting shit. Yeah, he really about does. Fitness. He cuts through the noise mm-hmm. aggressively. So there we go. And uh, quite scathing mm-hmm. at, times, at times, but necessary. Necessary. We believe. Well, we're going to find out, aren't yeah. we? Uh, what do you think about calling out the BS? I mean, look, with, with something like fitness and health and wellness and all this shit, there's always going to be, because people care so much. It's such a like, such a big industry, right? Mm. So there's always going to be people out there who target people and just try and take the piss mm-hmm. it's quite easy to do very easy to do you know so it's good that there's people out there that are saying no don't do that put your put your right foot you put, put you put your put your good step forward put your big boy boots put on your big boy boots. Uh, but yeah i think it's good what do you think um i'm with you i think that it's going to be an interesting chat with him because well, i want to know what it's, he's it like ca- it comes at a good time yeah because you're obviously you know five months into transformation you've been in the gym yeah. You know the lingo. Mm-hmm. I you know, know the, the turtle juice. You might be able to talk about the turtle juice turtle together. Juice I, do. I just want to figure out, like, because because he's actually friends with my trainer, Sean. Is he? Yeah. Do they juice together? I don't know. I don't know if they juice. Maybe we're going to talk about steroids as well. You love... You've never done steroids. You quite like them, I reckon. Never, ever done steroids. Never would do you, steroids. I reckon you're tempted. No ways. For the wedding. To steroid up? Yeah, to get some big traps for the wedding. Get out of here. Is that what they're boy. called? I don't the, know. What are these bits here called? Lats? Lats. Traps, lats, lats. lats. Traps. Sats. Sit-ups, dips. I know. Um, hey, guys, uh, Jane Smith, you've seen him on social media. You see how he's outspoken. Is he going to be outspoken today? Find out on this episode right now. Midi, intro it. Pull up your socks. Get your dumbbells out. Here we go. James Smith's coming in. It's going to be real. Let's go. Um, James, welcome to the podcast. Um, before we kick things off, we like our guests to look straight down that barrel of the camera 
and introduce yourself in 30 seconds any way that you want to do it. Any way. <laughs> 15 seconds left. <laughs> My name is James Smith. I'm a personal trainer. I don't personal train anyone face-to-face -face anymore. I had or made a career out of trying to battle my insecurities. One of the insecurities was prospecting on the gym floor. So I hit social media, so I wouldn't have to do it anymore. Got very carried away and now I'm here on the sofa. That is an nice. excellent intro. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, dude, I honestly, I'm super psyched you're on the, on the, the podcast and like, that's also not bullshit or anything like that. I, I kind of been watching you for a while on social media and seeing what you're doing. And I think especially in this day and age, we started this podcast, right, called Private Pass because I was so kind of bored of people covering themselves with filters all the time and saying things that they thought that they had to say in interviews, chat shows, whatever it is. And you have made a living now and a brand in a really great way about cutting out the bullshit and just saying how it is. So I, I started PTing in Sydney and it just didn't go well. I didn't have the client base. I was in a gym that had 32 other personal trainers. It was very competitive. And I kind of like hit social media and it got to the point where I was making more money online than I ever could in the gym. So I used to go in and see a couple of clients that I trained just because I liked them. But then when I fully dropped the gym in May, 2017, it was just me and my laptop and the day. So I'd wake up in Bondi, I had a skateboard. I would get out of bed whenever. I would go get a coffee. And then, then I was like, I have the whole day to do whatever I want. I need to service my clients, create content, do something for like my sales funnel and strategy. But apart from that, it then became like impulsive where I was like 10.30 AM, I'd be like, I'm gonna train. Or other days it would be like, I'm gonna go for a swim in the sea. Other mm. days it would just be this like crazy thing. And as long as I got my things done by the end of the day, it was fine. Mm. Then a lot of people in retrospect go, what are your successful habits? And I'm like, uh. yeah. I'm like, as long as I get it done in the day. And it sounds so cliche, but that freedom and the creativity and even uh, one of my weird things is if I want to come up with a good idea for content, I go have a shower, even if I don't particularly need Shut one. Up. Yeah, I, I like, if I have a shower for 10 minutes, that's where I get good ideas and I can kind of flesh them out because there's no other distractions. My phone isn't there. My eyes haven't even got something to lock onto. There's nothing to listen to. I'm just like, you know, going for a shower. And so like middle of the day in Bondi, it would be like winter, it'd be a bit cold. I'd be like, I'm gonna have a shower. And then I get an idea for a video. I can't relax. I get out, I dry myself, mm. I rush. I'm like, I'm not even putting deodorant on, get my DSLR camera out, get out, record it. I'm in the edit, someone comes in. I was like, I'll talk to you in a minute. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> it's that that hyper-focus is, is a little bit like a superpower almost because like you just have to get it done. And the worst thing is that I was very fortunate that I tripped up and made these like little random life decisions that enabled me to utilize it. And I think there are a lot of people right now with these superpowers in the city of London getting paid 28K a year and being told to, you know, just, no, 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 just do that, just do that. And they're like suffocating their superpowers, which I didn't realize at the time, but I worked in uh, recruitment, I worked in IT sales, and this was my job for like a year and a half. I sat in Bracknell, I did a video outside the office the other, the other day. I worked in an office opposite an empty office for nearly two years. I just, I remember looking at my screen and just being like, I can't do this forever, mm. I just can't do this. Like, there's no longevity to it. And I was like, doing the fitness thing at the same time. I was becoming the Kino. I actually was becoming the person I take the piss out of now. So when I'm like, oh yeah, stringy vest, pre-workout, gold's gym vest, look at this wanker. That was me. That's this yeah, guy. Yeah. Don't worry about it guys. But like, so so <laughs> yeah. I was that guy and I like, I had that drawer in the office where you pull out all the supplements. Yeah. And I was like, yes, creatine. 
watch out. <laughs> hope, I, hope I don't get tested at rugby because that's, that's a pretty wild career team blend. So then when I left uh, recruitment, my boss was like, you should do something in fitness. But I was like, I'm going to go find myself in Asia. Mm. And when I went to Thailand for a few months, I was living off like 15 quid a day. And when I came back, I was like, how much does a PT earn? For like 30 pound an hour. I was like, wow. If I see two clients a day for two hours, that's 60 pounds. I was like, I'm rich. Mm. I'm rich. And then in the corporate world, even if you were to earn 30, 33, 35,000 pounds a year, don't test my maths on this. It works out to like a hundred pounds a day or whatever. I was like, I can work three hours a day with people in shorts in a gym. And then I could have the rest of the day to do what I want. And I kind of realized, fuck, even if I didn't earn as much as I did in recruitment, I might enjoy my job. And that was a big awakening for me where I was like, fuck, this is where I kind of like started to understand real wealth, where I was like, I might not have as much money as corporate James, but I have a wealthier lifestyle because I've got time, I'm time rich, I'm napping, I'm happy. I was like going home for like seeing my mum during lunchtime, just sitting there on a bowl of soup with my mum. I was like, I never did this in corporate. So that's when I kind of identified that if we just use money financially as a metric for success, I'd be there bored lying to my colleagues in a suit every day. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I could redefine the metrics for success as being, you know, a good lifestyle balance, a job I enjoy, fuck not even having to put on a suit, then suddenly I'm wealthier than most of my friends that earn more money than me. Mate, that's, that's, that's exactly um, the attitude that people should have. I, I couldn't agree with you more in that. And actually, it's funny how your naivety like got you there, right? You were just constantly thinking that there's a really famous like Bill Gates quote, which is it's sort of it's like a metaphor, right? Which is he says, I would always hire a lazy person over a hardworking person because the lazy person would find the quickest way to complete the job. And the idea of that is, is kind of like the fact is, is that you were basically saying, okay, I have to work 10 hours to make this amount, but I could be doing working three hours doing this. And then I can have what I call my time, which is resting, relaxing, holidaying, seeing your mum, whatever it is. And I agree with you that, you know, people focus so much on cash all the time that actually they end up not enjoying themselves. And it, it's a it's a complete science, which is where the business is paid in two currencies, cash and experience. Take the experience first and the cash will come later. Do something because you actually really enjoy it. And the byproduct of that will mean that you do make money in it, because of it. Right. And people think that just focusing on money that's going to bring them all the happiness they want. But it really doesn't. And it's such a confusion, especially with the younger generation. Yeah, well, it's, it's a form of insanity, really, because you're not, you're constantly chasing. You're not actually enjoying any of that moment, are you? You're like, oh, I will eventually get to that moment. But it takes fucking ages or you don't ever get there. You know, when you find people that are really entrepreneurial, really like everything is just money, I feel a bit sorry for them because I, I, I implore their like, race in life where they're trying to get to the finish line of having financial freedom which for most of them they'll never get to and i'm like i, I do look at them and i think wow I'm, I'm really glad i'm not driven like that because like you say all the businesses i've started some of them have done incredibly well but the outcome was actually just to you know enjoy it so when i created like an online pt app i was like let me create an infrastructure to host every conversation i could have with someone because i can't explain macros to the same people forever i can't explain what calorie deficit is. I'm gonna make all of this content a video and host it and send people to it. And then by doing that, I managed to free up more time to then make more money to then make the app better or whatever. And then as a byproduct, like two years later, I was like, oh, we're doing really well as a business. But it was because I created a job that was sustainable, that I enjoyed yeah. all of that. And like you say, profit comes as a byproduct of a good business that you're invested in. 
if you're not taking a sick day from your job ever, you're probably on the right tracks. Mm. I remember like pulling sickies, having to take days off or whatever it was. And it was, it was all these things that added up to realize I didn't really enjoy my lifestyle. And Simon Sinek made a really good point where he goes, you should never find your passion or wait for passion to arrive. Passion is what comes as a byproduct when you follow your values. So if you follow your values and do what you want to do in life and you're like, hey, do you know what? Fucking, I want to look after dogs, have a dog walking business, or I want to open a jujitsu gym or whatever it is. It takes about three years in where you go, fuck, I'm passionate about this, but it wasn't a reason to get invested. It's what came as a byproduct. Yeah, there's an amazing Oscar Wilde quote, which I've said before. Um, he says, if you want to be a grocer or a gen general or a politician or a judge, you will invariably become it. That is your punishment. If you never know what you want to be, if you live what some might call the dynamic life, but what I call the artistic life, if each day you are unsure of who you are and what you know, you will never become anything. And that is your reward. It's the fact is that we go through life all the time thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. And when you become that, that's your punishment because that's all you are. Actually not really knowing what you're doing and actually having that sort of free life, that artistic life, that is actually what we should be charging towards. That is like a much bigger reward which is kind of an amazing thing. I think the, the, the tricky thing though, is that like a lot of, maybe people listening here will go, okay, you guys are three guys who um, were able to find out what you didn't want to, want to do rather than finding out what you had to. There's loads of people who kind of go, I have to go and work here and do that. What do you say to those individuals who maybe don't have the freedom to do what we potentially had? And, and, and look, I, I, I'm in that position. I find it hard to articulate that sometimes. There's a, one more quote I loved was, the man who loves to walk will walk further than the person that loves the destination. So that's like a very sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, holy shit. These, get yeah, these, yeah, get these up here, guys. Holy shit. Do you know, a lot of people straight away, they, they, they hear your point and if it validates their pre-existing emotions, they're very quick to get defensive. So if someone goes, but James, I've got kids, but I've got a mortgage, I've got a family. What am I supposed to do? I say to those people, well, make sure you instill that into your kids like pass it fucking forward. Because if you can't do it to yourself, at least make that something that you breed into your kids. What annoys me at the moment a little bit when it comes to like obesity and work ethic and all of these things, people are so quick to point the finger at the government, the schools, all of this. And I'm like, teachers get paid such little money to care so much about dozens of kids. And I'm like, how can some people think that it's the teacher's fault or the government's fault if their kids are not being brought up a certain way? There has to be some personal responsibility for this. And I think if people genuinely think they're past that point of freedom or doing something for that or doing something because it's personally fulfilling, then your next project should be bringing up your kids to see that life. And, you know, my parents have kind of always done that with me. My dad always said to me, he was like, whenever I've asked him if I should do something, he's like, well, you're going to be dead for a long time. So you might as well, you know do it. When I was 27, I, we were having a barbecue outside. And I, <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious. It's quite, it's quite a good thing. It's true, right? Yeah. He's like, you know, and he never said to me like, oh, you should settle down and get a mortgage or anything like that. And I still don't. But at 27, I look at him and I'm like, might go to Australia. And he was like, yeah, I've always imagined you somewhere like that. Shut uh, up. Yeah. And uh, I didn't tell him it was from a psychedelic, Fuck, that's wicked. psychedelic trip, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's to me going to ayahuasca. Over yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had a little bit of a psychedelic trip and I've never wanted to go to Australia before in my life ever. I actually dated a girl when I was younger and she was like, I want to go to Oz. And I was like, well, you enjoy yourself. I was like, you're young, go have a good time. But um, yeah. So like, I think it's really important that some people that do think they're past it, just instill that in their kids because then you get to reap the rewards and the fruits of labor watching them do it. But then 
some people will use it as an excuse for an action. Like just written a, a book on confidence, but one of the main kind of takeaways we're doing this like live show at the moment, I won't give too much away, but I call bullshit on confidence quite a lot where people actually, it's very easy to mask inaction with this guys that you're not a confident person. Wait, break that down a little bit. So let's say uh, every single choice, opportunity in life, everything, you come to a, a fork in the road where you can pick action or inaction. Okay. Asking for someone's number. Oh, I'm not a confident person. You're really using that as a label or like a mask to just, you know, excuse the fact you fucking did nothing. When it comes to asking your boss for a promotion because you feel undervalued. When it comes to, you know, oh, me and my friends were going to start a podcast. Yeah, but you fucking didn't. You chose the path of inaction. You found that easier. It was less confronting. There were less chances that it would fall on your face or you'd experience failure. And failure, again, is a, is a, is a brilliant thing because it shows you a path to where you need to get better. Same as inadequacies. They show us a path to better ourselves. The more you fail at something, a lot of the time you build up your competency. There are no negatives to this. So a lot of people through life continually cho choose that path of inaction. And when they're questioned on it by themselves introspectively or externally, they label, oh, I'm just not a confident person. It's an excuse more than anything to stop people from doing it. So some people out there are like, oh, you know, I wish I was, I wish I had the confidence to do what you guys did. Oh, I wish I had the confidence to go travel the world. I'm like, fucking hell, mate. If I put you in Australia as a 29-year-old and put a gun to your head, I'm sure you'd get a job and make it work, mm. you know? So many people are, are hiding behind this mask of not being confident enough or not having the opportunity to do it. And then when people, and they, you know, when people do better than them, it's very easy for them to connect the dots and they're to, oh yeah, he, yeah, he got lucky. Yeah, you know, oh, that was fortunate, you know, oh. Yeah, he, he just had that one video that went viral or whatever it is. And they haven't seen the backlog behind it. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. People like to paint a picture themselves of how someone created something. That's why there's a lot of kind of hatred towards wealthy people. It's quite strange because people admire billionaires, but they hate millionaires. So... 
this it's, is it's really odd i feel like we are kind of bred into a, a like self-doubt and i only realized i had that within myself and is like this realization i had recently i was like i've had this voice that was always going nah you can't do that you can't do that and i was like where does that actually come from like where's that voice been like bred I think me I mean. behind you, old. Yes, yeah, so don't, don't, yeah, don't leave yeah, me. Yeah. You're a fucking pussy. <laughs> stop, stop doing it, dude. Fucking wanker. <laughs> I, I have a, a theory. It's called, it's called the pessimism bias, where we always favor a pessimistic outcome. Similar mm. to if I get a pain in my side, I think I'm dying. I'm like, oh. I'm not enjoying yeah, it. Dude. I want to get a fucking notepad. This is fucking, this is sweet ass shit over here. I, I like this. It's great. Right. Hard to be confident <laughs> out now. Um, if I get like a pain in my side, I think I'm dying. If my phone rings, I'm like, fuck, who died? You know, like mm. it's pessimistic outcome all the time. From an evolutionary standpoint, through hundreds of thousands of years, the optimists probably didn't do too well. You know, two guys 15,000 years ago, oh, saber-toothed tiger, here's lunch, guys. Mm. <laughs> then suddenly they're, they're out of the gene pool. Or they look at like a, a long, like, I don't know, bit of water between like, lads, fancy a swim? Can we make that? Yeah, of course we can. The optimists probably were more likely to die. Oh, should we jump this gap? Yeah, fine. Where the pessimists, the people that went through life going, we can't swim that, not crossing that, fuck, saber-toothed tiger, run. They would have remained. So, you know, like dogs, for instance. Dogs Holy smokes. Dogs that are, is mind blown. So dogs and humans have coexisted for about 5,000 years. They're one of the only animals that properly coexisted with humans. Now, they've evolved from wolves, but dogs are really well-natured and well-mannered because, again, another theory, is that all the dogs that were assholes wouldn't have been fed or looked after. So they were all bred out and they would have died. You know, a dog that's got a real attitude problem, you'd be like, fuck off. But the ones that came over and were nice, you'd give them a bit of scraps, you'd take them under, keep them in your little teepee or cave, whatever it was. So then <laughs> over, over years, there's only the survival of those who are genetically, as far as dogs, kind and empathetic and you could build a relationship with. So I think that humans have gone down a similar path where the eternal pessimists are the ones that survive. Oh my God. Even think about uh, yes. the average amount of kids that people used to have used to be like five or six because the rate of infant death was so high. So again, for the genes to continue for a long amount of time, the people that were pessimists and go, best pop another one out, they were the ones to continue the gene pool. The eternal optimists were like, oh, two kids is enough. Probably didn't. So all of this way down our lineage, I think it's... That is insane. There's so many things I want to I dissect in that. Okay, you're so, that is so interesting. That sort of evolutional kind of like attitude towards stuff is, is so right we we have our, our our appetite for risk is depleted massively and and that's why if you look at uh, the idea of Wim Hof or something like going and doing cold therapy is a really good thing because you shock your body in the morning you shock yourself out of that comfort state that we've been in for so long I've never truly th thought about it like that and I think I think you're completely right um with the um idea of we we have we have been so optimists have sort of died because they would jump or do whatever where do you get that from where does that sort of theory come from because that needs that has to be learned you know it, if we take anxiety or you know anxiety for example is a learnt disorder you you so you, when you're a kid or whatever you feel sudden sudden feeling or whatever it is and someone says to you by the way that's anxiety you go okay that's anxiety you store it and you keep it and that's what happens with it you have to sort of unlearn that trait to get rid of it which is really hard where do you learn that confidence where do you learn the fact to take risks because a lot of people have to unlearn their existing brains so right making people aware of biases in their mind is one of the things that i've enjoyed doing the most because I'd love to say that I'm really good at explaining how calories work or whatever, but I've had these flaws myself. 
So but one you of, are though, dude. I think I think it's so funny. It's such a confident guy. Sometimes you lack the confidence in what you're saying, which is which is not what you're saying, but you're like, oh, I don't know how to explain it that well. But then you do explain it well. <laughs> so there's there's another one called the sunk cost fallacy. This one changed a lot of lives to people where. People remain invested in something, not because it's a good idea, but based off their previous investment of time, energy, or effort. And a prime example of this is when you say to someone, why are you still with that fucking guy? Oh, we've been together four years. They use the reason or the amount of previous investment as a reason to stay, not that the relationship is serving them. They are not concerned about anything other than that four years not going to waste. So with, you know, investments, with property portfolios, with relationships, with everything, even jobs, Mate, you always complain about your job. Why don't you just leave? Oh, I've been there 10 years. You know, so you've got that one. So you make people aware of it. Another one that you say about the confidence thing. So now I can now dismantle people's beliefs rather than being like, hey man, let's make you confident. Hey, here's my system. Count down from five. You know what I mean? So I can dismantle it and suddenly people go, oh yeah, he's got a point. But there's one called the availability bias where we paint a picture of our reality based on the information that's made aware to us. So we could talk about Bondi Beach and you go, you're worried about sharks? And I go, well, I'm much more likely to drown. You go, what? I'm like, well, you know, Bondi Beach Rescue, like drowning every day. You have a shark attack every four years. What do you think is more worrisome? The rips that pull you out to sea kill way more people than sharks, but doesn't make the news. Uh, flying, you know, I was on a flight the other day and my mate looks at me and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? I had my iPad out and I was watching Flight with Denzel Washington. And the first scene is the plane crashing, we're taking off. He, and I'm in the, the front row on EasyJet. So I've got my iPad out for everyone to see a plane crash so we're taking <laughs> hey off. Hey guys, look at this. <laughs> and uh, I can see a few people like, what the fuck? But I was like, oh mate, you know, driving the same distance is 60 times more likely to kill you. So if you're going to fly from here to Paris or here to Ibiza, granted it's obviously a lot more because you're driving a huge distance but you're way more likely to die driving it. No one's shitting their pants as an Uber takes off. You know what I mean? Mm. They buckle up, they're like, oh, fuck. You know, because again, plane crashes, we see it, we see the fire, we see the wreckage, but very rarely do we see the wreckage of a car crash. So the availability bias, the way we perceive our reality, even when it comes to power, when you look at per kilowatt, more people die from solar panels, from falling off roofs, fixing them, than we do nuclear power plants and reactors. So if you look at per kilowatt, Solar is the most dangerous source of energy. Nuclear is the safest. But then we have Chernobyl and we have that amazing BBC series. So we have all these things that paint a reality for us. Same with COVID, same with the cost of living crisis right now. The reality, I don't think, is as bad as what we perceive the reality to be. Now, that's not me excusing it. People are having a very tough time. But when it comes to confidence, if the people you surround yourself by or the team or whoever don't have the same visions or the capacity to break down their biases that will influence what you think you are capable of. That's why everyone's like, you know, your tribe attracts your vibe or whatever it is. But there's some truth to that. I genuinely believe that if the people around you don't fully believe or envision the same goals as you, they're going to dampen you. Everyone's either going to be a wind in your sails or a headwind mm. that you're fighting against. And I think that rather than trying to G people up and go, yeah, you fucking got this. We need to say to them, hey, these are the biases that exist in your mind. And this is why another one, I love these. This is like my favorite I part. fucking love this shit. There's one more. Loss keep, of, keep going. Keep loss going. aversion. The psychological pain of losing things is twice as much as gaining the equivalent. So losing 10 pounds can feel worse than gaining 10 pounds would feel. What is that? I, 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 I don't understand that one. So let's say um, I speak to you both separately, two different rooms, and I give you a mug that's worth five pounds and I give you a chocolate bar that's worth five pounds. So uh, after maybe 10 minutes, you come back in. If I was to say to you, do you want to swap or, or you know, you'd say, no, like I want to keep the mug because I've had it now. The idea of losing that mug feels worse than gaining the chocolate bar. 
I say to him, hey, do you want Don to swap? He goes, no, because the idea of losing that chocolate bar feels worth some of the mark. Air miles. Have you ever got it when you're like booking something using points and you're fucking shitting yourself at the checkout that you made a mistake, but you didn't actually do anything to earn those, but the psychological pain of losing them, you got these miles for free. Yes. Yeah, even spending them is giving you sweat patches because yes. the psychological pain of losing the points feels worth, worth more than what you're gaining on the other side. So human beings, once we have something, we don't want to give it up. It's very difficult for us to do that. And that's why we hold on to cash and things like that because we don't want to spend it because we want to hold on to it because it's the fear of losing it. And that's why people just sit on their money. And that's why the people like the Egyptians try to take their wealth with them. You know, when they died, they just tried to, right? All the time because they didn't want to lose it. The psychological pain of like losing it, especially when you come to things like gambling. Like even if someone was to give you good odds, a lot of people are very risk averse with that. And people play into these biases where uh, like using checkouts on Amazon. So... By putting things in your basket, it makes you feel like they're yours. That's and then when you swipe. get to the payment window, it goes, oh, you know, you're going to lose these four things if you don't go pay at the checkout now. So now you have the psychological pain of losing the things in the checkout basket with insurance. Like, uh, you know, where it says things like, you know, insurance will say, you know, do you want to cover for act of God, fire and theft? It's getting these things into your mind where you didn't think about your house flooding before. But now the insurance company's going, look, you pay us 36 pound a month or you're going to lose your house. The psychological pain of your house burning down or flooded is much more of a pain point than 36 pounds. You end up buying the premiums when you rent cars as well. You know, all of these things. I literally just did that this weekend. Paid the premium because they were like, yeah, you, you know, if you crash. I was like, okay. And it, yeah, so the, a lot of this is, is definitely uh, taken into account when in day-to-day -day life. Uh, adverts. <clears throat> so... Uh, on TV where people were like, oh, after the break, we're going to be talking about this. You're now getting the fear or you're getting the loss of energy. Like, I don't want to lose that. I want to know what it is. But that's actually another effect. But I can't, I've got to stop this. No, you don't know. Honestly, do. What, what I love, I, I, honestly, um, th this is why you must love being on stage, writing books, doing podcasts, is because I see the passion. And it, it's similar with me where I sometimes feel like there's not enough time. And when I'm talking amongst friends or people and I can, I'm almost like, fuck, they're going to cut me off. And I've got so much to say. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, they're going to cut me off. And I'm, ah, so I have to do, I can see your passion within you, which is just that, that's what um, life is about to have passions about different things and, and, and want to tell other people and spread your knowledge, right? That's the greatest thing in the world. Um, before we go into part two, you mentioned that we, like billionaires, but we hate millionaires. Can you say that again? And yeah, I, I just came across it when I was researching. I, I was like, why do people hate wealthy people? And there was a study saying that there's a lot of admiration to billionaires, but then there's a lot of hatred towards millionaires. You see Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, people are like, yeah, I've done well. But then you see a guy with like a McLaren going down the street, you're like, prick. You know what I mean? So it, it's one of those things, but again, where um, I, I teach like coaches, PTs, how to run their businesses a bit better. And I say, look, if a guy wears a Rolex in a bar, you probably think he's a prick. But if that guy tells you about his story and the struggles and, you know, everything he went through to get the Rolex, he'd be a hero. I go, the Rolex, the guy remain the same. It's the story that's important. So that's why it's really important that people do tell the story of success and not just flaunt it. Dude, um, we're going to stop there for part one. Um, we're going to come back to part two. We've got so much more to talk about. Your book, your, your, your shows, you do everything like that. But also I want to talk about steroids as well and understand a little bit more about that because um, mitts on them so <laughs> that's why I want to go see everyone in part two bye bye